0: yo 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 welcome to made to think with your host ninjam it's that time again we have a brand new guest this is guest jam number five the one and only alan ritchie one of the top djs from saigon how are you doing buddy
1: thank you cheers adam yeah doing very well thanks mate yeah all good can't
0: complain awesome can okay for, for the listeners can you introduce yourself tell us what you're all about
1: me? I'm all about music, really. My name's Alan Ritchie. I've been in uh, Southeast Asia, best part of 20 years, and um in the music business for, oh, pushing 35 years now, well over 30 years now. I've been, uh, been in the um, clubbing business, clubbing game, so um, yeah, thanks for having me on your show. It's a pleasure, mate. It's a pleasure.
0: We, uh, we met about probably 12 years ago, I think. I've been here f- nearly 15 years, and it was the first time I went to Natrang to DJ. And uh, what was the bar you was playing That's at then?
1: Right. Yeah, that was Guava That was a little bar called Guava Bar. Um, and that, yeah, I think it was longer than 12 years ago, mate. Yeah, it was about more like 15 years ago. I was uh, managing a little bar up um up in the Trang, a little seaside town on the coast of Vietnam. And yeah. Um, yeah, we had. uh it was one of the one of the first places probably in the country actually where we had some twelve uh, hundreds there, and uh,
0: we was throwing throwing parties. I think I think I met you
1: there actually.
0: Yeah, that was a place to be. Days. <laughs> that was a place to be. So you're um, you're renowned for your musical taste and your ability to DJ almost every fucking day of the week. Um, what what got you into music at a young age? It
1: yeah, was just. Um... Funny enough, it did it, it came from my parents a little bit. I mean, because they, they had one of these old record players, that were in like a box, you know, and you could just uh these vinyl records there that that you can stack up like five, ten little seven-inch records, and then just like drop them off and play them, you know. But their, um, their music taste was uh, was um, very questionable to say the least. So I definitely didn't get any. Um, too much musical influence from my parents, but yeah, it was just that. It was just that you know having lots of records, and it was just I just love the love the, the sound and the, and just the feel of, uh, of putting on records and playing records really, and um, sort of uh, yeah, just going through that really. Um, what
0: what do you think was the first?
1: Um, Taste-wise, it just came from friends hanging around with friends who were four or five years older than me that were uh, into the rape scene back in the late eighties. That's where I, uh, that's where I really got into it, you know.
0: Ah, uh, yeah. Um, so so what, what do you think? What's the first the first record you actually put onto a turntable? I ask this everybody because I'm obsessed with that question. But can you remember, even if it's a kid, because once you have had that taste, it's never you never go back.
1: It would probably sound really bad if it was in my mum's record collection, <laughs> right? Uh, but um, yeah, shit, I mean, they did have some good stuff, you know They had some uh, sort of Motown stuff, you know But more on the poppy side, more on the commercial side of the Motown So there was like Ina Ross and obviously Michael Jackson And that sort of stuff, you know um, um, But yeah, uh, yeah the first, I think the first record I ever really bought Was probably something like Pink Floyd or something like that I think it was maybe Dark Side of the Moon I think I bought that when I was about nine or ten years old I think it was probably the first record I ever bought
0: so do you think um, that's why you like, have a that's bit when of? It? I was
1: buying records because I was sick of my parents' record right. collections. So I was like you, buying me records.
0: You have a distaste for that, yeah, poppy shit. I, I know that now. Um, what what was your first like proper hi-fi system? You know, decent one.
1: That was uh, um, that was again. Um, well, I've started off with just like as one of them take-to-take boom boxes. You know, you just get all in one that like you just sit on the side. You know, it wasn't um. Um, It wasn't a stack system at that point. It was just, uh, you know, I was really young then, about, you know, nine, ten years old. So, yeah, I got one of these tape deck boombox systems, um, which had a radio receiver on it. And um, it was it was all about the radio for me and just being able to tap into London pirate radio stations, which is where I really got my musical influence from and taping. Them radio
0: shows yeah. from Spam,
1: so you, 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 mainly the North, North London radio stations.
0: You obviously had a Walkman like me.
1: I did have a Walkman, in DJ I did have a Walkman. yeah. I um, that, yeah, never, that, 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 that came to school with me every day. And, yeah. um, <laughs> and uh, stay, staying up all night taping them radio stations, and you'd fall asleep because you got to go to school in the morning. And then obviously, you're listening to them recordings. Um, all day at school, and they were hot property at school. Mate, uh, the tapes I used to record. You know? Yeah. Uh, so, what was your what yeah, were, your were sort of, what,
0: what were your radio channels you were checking out? Then you said the pirate radio stations, right? Share some of them with us.
1: Yeah, I mean um, the main one, the main one was Pulse FM, which was. I mean, I come from um, I come from uh, a temple which is uh, northeast London, right on the right on the borders of northeast London. Um. So, I mean, if if I to pick up a lot of these stations, I'd have to rig up a copper a copper tree aerial basically going up my wall and across my ceiling and i um, would do that with copper wiring and I could just about start picking up the North London radio stations the pirates um, uh, the big ones for me was Pulse FM which I think was broadcasting out of, like Tottenham and Enfield area very near to where I was born and, uh, and Kiss FM when it was a pirate radio station Kiss FM was very influential to me I mean, so, how
0: did you come about to discover DJing then? You've, you've gone for listening to radios and stuff. What made you get into DJing?
1: Yeah, funny enough, DJing was never something that I even... It um, was, was even in my radar or, or something that, like, I I never consciously ever sat there and thought, right, yeah, I want to DJ. Um, it was just something that happened quite naturally. I just um, obviously started, obviously, you know, listening to early Chicago records, you um, In the late 80s, and then it sort of morphed into the into the rave scene that was going on in um in the UK, which as you know exploded in the UK. So yeah, me and my friends, and most a lot of my friends were older than me, and I was buying started buying these house records, started buying these dance records, and um um I just and a few of my friends had some decks. Um, so I just went out and bought myself a, a cheap set of the belt drive sound at turntables and new mark mixer for like 250 quid and um and started learning to mix um but i never at that point ever thought i was doing this because i want to dj i want to dj in a club or i want to be a dj it was it was just a natural progression from just having a stack of records in your in your bedroom and um and it was just a pure fun of learning to try and beat match and, and teach myself to uh to mix really to for the fun of it for the fun of it. So yeah, the, the, actually DJing was never never um an instigator. I mean, doing that. it was just fun. It was just fun, and it was just a passion and uh, something to do. Really, it was just yeah. Natural so you, was, you, was collect, you
0: were you were collecting records before you even started thinking about DJing.
1: Oh yeah, way before, way before. Yeah, way before I uh, way before I got a professional gig. Um yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, 100, 200 records at least before um, before I even got, like, started, started DJing. Um, you know, uh, I was, we were doing house parties and just playing in our bedrooms and going around each other's houses and just having a mix at home with our friends, whoever's at the house that may be. Um, and then going, going to the clubs when I was, like, 15 in London and um, coming back and having a mix, you know. Uh, uh, so, yeah, it was quite a while before I actually got... Uh, got a first, my first professional club gig, you know, I was quite surprised to get by to play at the uh, gardening club in Covent Garden in, um, All right. in London, that was my, my first gig, that was in, that was 94, it was my first ever club gig, it was 1994, but I've been where, mixing where you... for a good three, four years before then.
0: So where were you buying your tunes back then? You're in London based, what were the record shops for you? Um
1: yeah. My, my the first was in my hometown of Harlem, Um, in in, in two a couple of record shops. One called Trumps, one called uh, Parrot Records. Um, and then I started. I was I was hit going down to London every weekend from the age of like fourteen and fifteen, and going uh going to Soho, um, going to Rock Trade, going to Music Video Exchange, and Sister Ray, and. Um, yes, solo mainly, just lots of different record shots in solo, and then bringing them back to my hometown in Harlow, because um, I, I was living in Harlow up to the age of 17. 17 was when I moved to London permanently.
0: I know um, the boys, down. And, it.
1: Black
0: Market, Black Market Records, good old Black volume. Market Records,
1: yeah. Funny enough, I never went into black market records that much. It was it was more of a drum base. It was more 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 on the drum base scene to black market back then. And I was more into the the house and techno side of things. And uh, the one thing, I mean, yeah, not 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 me. Black market, as you know, is legendary. But one thing, it was the records were always behind the counter. Yeah, you always had to. ask for the records and you couldn't just dig you know so i was yeah i was i was i wasn't in black market too much you know i would that's a good um, I was point, like, though. Yeah. Record shots where you could actually dig through the stacks a bit more, you know, you have to really know them in there to, to sort That's funny that because
0: right. uh, I when it's I used to go hard. down like Eastern Block and that, I used to uh, see all the famous DJs in there, and it was like this thing etiquette that like you weren't you weren't supposed to go dig straight where the famous DJ had been digging because it's too easy. But <laughs> loads of us would just be there like little rabbits behind following them around, you know. <laughs> um what Exactly.
1: Was you... Exactly.
0: So you've, you, your first DJ experience, 1994, tell us a bit about that, please.
1: Yeah, that, that that was um yeah that was uh, that was quite a surprise. I've been I've been doing um I've been doing a number of house parties with some friends, and we have obviously been uh, a number of us have been uh, traveling to London every weekend, hitting hitting the raves in the clubs, and um, we was going to these parties that were uh, called um, they were like Europe two thousand parties and uh, hardware, and they were run by this guy called Terry Mitchell, who's a prolific um a uh, techno DJ at the time in London who was throwing a lot of parties with another guy called Craig Thomas and a girl called Addy um, and yeah we've just got around with them I've been handing out some tapes that I've recorded at home with my phone number on and stuff and I've handed up and handed out a few tapes to to a number of select people that were running these parties and uh, yeah, well, I got a call one day and um, they asked me to come and play on a Wednesday night. They, they, were, they were running a techno night um, at the Gardening Club, so a very famous club in Covent Garden in central London. And they asked me to come and play. And um, yeah, it was with uh, a guy called Mark Broom, who's, uh, who's now probably one of the biggest techno DJs in the world at the moment. And um, so, yeah, I think it was me, Mark Broom and Colin Dow, I think. at the I've got the fly. Do you know what? I've got the fly here. I've got the fly no in way. Front of me. Fuck. I've still got the fly right here. Don't know Just we can see Pull it that. back but, a little uh, bit. Yeah, it was, yeah, uh,
0: it that's crazy. That's from 994. That's amazing. That. yeah, this
1: is from 994, yeah. And it was a uh, it was a, a a night called the Electric Underground, and uh, yeah, it was me, Mark Room, uh, Terry Mitchell, and uh, DJ controlled weirdness, who's uh, another like sort of techno it. producer at the time back in the early 90s. Um so how yeah, did that? that how did you get? Crazy, how did
0: you get yeah. that gig? How did that come about? Did you have to do some mithering or? Um,
1: that was just, yeah, that was just that was just from me just sort of bumping into these guys um every week in, in the clubs. You know, the, in the at the, the time the techno scene was was I would say it was small in London, but it was like you know if you were if you were into techno in London and you were going to the, the, the then clubs week in and week out, you got to know the same faces, you know, and, uh, yeah, but they heard that, that, that they got of one of my tapes and listened to one of my tapes and invited me down to play. And, um, yeah, I think I played for 20 quid and free beer. I think that, night no, I was, I was more than happy for that. I was, uh, I couldn't wait to get on them decks. Um, <laughs> I was uh, expecting to be nervous, but no, I, 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 I was itching to get. I could to get on. I couldn't wait to get on and uh, smash that club to bits. And uh, that, that's good. That, terrible.
0: That, the last time I <laughs> oh, saw I'm you play,
1: good.
0: if I was going to describe your style, I'd say that you definitely smash it. You're a you're a jacker. Um, you, you've you got a full force energy, here, which I love. And um, which, which record got you down the path of techno? Because Coming from London back then, I'd say it was mostly drum and bass and stuff. Te- techno was big back then, or what, in 94, in London?
1: Yeah, but it was, um, well, I mean, it was f- I got into techno, really. I mean, it, well, when I first when I first started breaking, you know I mean? Uh, I, I first went to a club in 1992 um, in London, and that was a club called the Marquee Club down on Charing Cross Road, very famous club. Um, and they were throwing, um, I'd already been, I was already, very involved in the music scene and uh, well not so much the music scene but the you know, you know listening to the pirate radios buying the records but obviously I was a kid because you know I was you know 12 years old I couldn't go into these clubs so I started growing my hair long so I had long hair by the time I was 14 15 and uh, yeah by the time I was 15 I went down to London and uh, with a fake ID um, got myself into the Marquee Cup. It was um, it was uh, it was hardcore. It was UK breaks and hardcore music, yeah. uh, rave basically, rave music. Uh, and um, so I started going to these uh, UK break rave music uh, events, which I absolutely loved. All the Mickey and urban shakedown stuff. Oh yeah, um, Mickey was and great. And then you know tracks like uh, Joey Beltram Energy Flash came out, yeah. which. That- at the time, we were like, that, "That's it's hardcore." We didn't believe. Really, you know, I was too young to really even notice it's a difference, but it's a full-on techno record. You know, it was our first four-by-four four beat, yeah. solid music. It wasn't a breakbeat. It was, it was, it was a four-by-four four techno track. Um, and then it was a, a, a rave specifically in 1993 called Tribal Gathering that I went to April the 30th, 93. I'd never forget it yeah. down in Wiltshire. And they had like five five different arenas, um, there, and um, they had like Dave Angel, Sven Vath, Long Garnier, um, them guys, and, and they were playing techno, you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, a lot of my friends went down this drum and bass road, which I enjoyed, I liked it. But when I heard this techno, it was uh, that that blew my brains apart. I was like, this this is this is me, this is me, and. Uh, and then
0: fully immerse myself in the techno scene in London, basically. Yeah, uh, you, uh, Energy Flash was m- amazing to me. That always uh, makes gives me memories of warm up DJs. It was just that perfect warm up sound when you come into a club and it's thumping, you know. Um. So, what was your favorite? Yeah, it was great. What was your what, Sven Baff You mentioned there. Um. Who was the guy that influenced you? You reckon the most from the start as a DJ?
1: Um, well, when I actually sort of started to DJ, I mean, obviously, like I said, my first club gig was '94. Um, I've I I I started going out to the to, to the techno clubs, um, obviously before that, um, and I was listening to guys like Dave Clark. I'd go out on a Wednesday night, and I could listen to Dave Clark in a small little club, in so for two quid, um, and i would just i would just stand there watching watching this guy, you know, and Dave Clark, as you well know, is just like an absolute, you know, genius on the decks, and um, so it was guys like Dave Clark, Jeff Mills. I first heard Jeff Mills in, in nineteen ninety three at um, um, a warehouse event called Lost in London, which was uh, which is legendary is one of the best uh, techno events um, ever. That was a guy called Steve Bickmore who started bringing over the the Detroit and Chicago boys. Right. Um, to London, um, and that's that's when the techno scene really started taking off. When the Detroit and Chicago boys uh, start coming over, and uh, and of course, guys from Europe as well. You know, R&S Records and people from Germany, and that started coming over. But uh, but yeah, if, back to the influences. Yeah, DJs Jeff Mills, Dave Clark, um, this guy Terry Mitchell, not so well known, but he was guys that were bringing like turntablism into techno, but. Pulling right. it off, if you know what I mean, they were like right. scratching and beat juggling with techno, but making it sound good and tight. And watching guys like this, um, they, they were massive inspirations to me, still up to this day. And, um, yeah, watching these guys and what they could do with the decks and how fast they were, they, 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 they were mixing, um, they were the guys who I inspired to. And, uh, I think once I started watching these guys, that's when I was like. I'd already been practicing and learned to beat match. And that was when I was just like, okay, hey, right, this DJ game, maybe, you know, that, that's when it's, uh, you know, and i would already been doing these house parties. And I was like, all of a sudden, yeah, DJ was on the table. Um, And this was, right. you know, four 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 years after I even started learning to mix so that was what that yeah, was yeah. It first came mm. that, yeah i can do this i can do this and um, what
0: what did you what did you find yeah. the most difficult about becoming a dj the, the journey like figuring it all out you know some people they don't know how to listen to two things at the same time the beat matching thing but what what for you is the hardest thing to conquer to become a master if you know what i mean was
1: getting gigs Definitely wow. getting gigs was 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 the hardest the hardest the hardest thing. If if, if you know, there's still an element of this to this day. If you're not producing, if you're not putting out records, it's really hard to get gigs. And it was yeah. um, it was very similar back then. Um, you know, you, you was you was no one unless you were putting out records or you were putting on parties. You know, and that, that's the road I went down was started throw my own little parties in London. You know, small events. Whether that was in the back of a pub or wherever it was, you know, um, but it was also who you knew that helped. But yeah, the, the, the hardest element learning to beat match was, uh, yeah, well, uneasy. But I locked myself in a room for six months and you just used ten records and taught myself to beat match. That that was I, I found mixing and beat matching with vinyl came quite naturally to me. I didn't find it that difficult. Of course, it took time and practice. Um, but the hardest thing of all was. Getting gigs it was getting gigs, getting someone to you know, persuade someone to give you a gig. That was the hardest uh, uh thing about trying to start any sort of career or or, or get on the DJ circuit it was yeah, actually getting gigs, getting some Okay,
0: that's a good point. So when when you did get a gig, it wasn't just about DJing, right? You were you responsible for uh, advertising, flyering, all that kind of stuff? All
1: that kind of stuff. Big time, actually. Yeah, I was, I was, I was quite heavily involved in the uh, in the marketing side of things. Um, um, I worked for, I worked for fabric, I worked for the end Club. I worked for flyer distribution companies, and so I was, yeah, I was bopping around all the all the raves and parties, handing out handing out flyers for our events, for uh, whether it was a radio station, whether it was a party, or whether it was being paid to do it for my friends' parties. Yeah, I'd, I'd be hanging around all, all, all the major clubs in. Uh, in uh, central and um, central London and the rapes handing out flyers so that that was a big part of it as well and obviously you you'd get paid for to hand out the flyers so that right. was added to the bonus again, and, a added little bonus and of You, well. you, you know, kinda
0: like, loved it, right? It was part of the it was part of the whole programme. There's no complaining.
1: Um yeah, it was, and, and it was, it was networking. You was networking face to face as well. The large part of it as well was, um, it was just about who you knew. And when you're, when you, when you hang hanging around these all these clubs and raves and stuff, you, you just bump into the same old faces week in week out. Uh, hardcore ravers, basically. <laughs> you know, so it was, uh, yeah, building that network. Literally, you know, on on your two feet, going out, going out, constantly being out.
0: Talk, talking know. about network, I just saw you went back to England recently, did, did you, do you or did you still hang out with the same crew growing up? Have you always been tight crew or did you split up? Yeah, I mean, yeah, of
1: course, so, you know, as I'm sure you know as well, you know, yeah, some people just drift away, you do drift away, people have kids, people have families. But yeah, when I, went, oh, I was back in London two two months ago, and um, of course I had uh, I had a night out with amount some guys I've not seen for for a long time, you know, with COVID, not been back to the UK for a while for like oh. nine, five years. But yeah, we had we, we had a night out in Camden with some of the old school crew, some of the old DJs I've uh, uh, I used to play with back in the day, and they turned up a stack of vinyl for me, and they they uh, late releases and stuff so I've got, I've got a load of, load of vinyl in new vinyl in from my from friends who are running record labels and putting tracks out now at the moment you know. so yeah it's good to see yeah I was still in contact with a lot of people Yeah, from back then how,
0: how much has London changed since you've last gone back did you sense a big change or is it the same
1: massively massively changed and the th- th- it's, I can't really comment on what how the the, the club and the parties these changed just because um when I've been back when I, I mean even when I was back there uh, two months ago I didn't go out I, I other than not New Carnival which I, I I went down for old time's sake um I've not been to a, I've not been to a club rave party in London for well over ten years I think the last time I went I went to a DJ Pierre or some. Warehouse in East London. That was about 10, 12 years ago. So i um, my fingers very off the pulse on the London scene at the moment. I've been I've been in Asia so long now. It's uh, I'm very out of touch with what's happening in uh, in London, other than what my friends are doing DJ wise. What I see pop up on their Facebook feeds or whatever. You know.
0: So you got into techno, and then how did your musical taste evolve after that? Um,
1: that was one thing that. Um, just absolutely loved about London, you know, I, you know. You know, I'm an Essex boy through and through, but just but but growing up through my teenage years in London, um, and uh, and you know, into my into my mid to late twenties, uh, one thing I loved about London was just the multiculturalness of the place, um, and um, and and, and the record shops, the record shops, and it was just like you know, you got like I, I mentioned, not in Little Carnival, for instance, Reggae Dub. You know, i got into Dub music in you know. a in a in a big big way and, and and that transfers itself into the electronic music side love like, with like the orb and bands like that you know the, very dub influence but but yeah I got heavily into into reggae music and I was going to a lot of reggae events uh, dub events there was happy free festivals with with big reggae sound systems you know um, and then I got I, I, was, already, I was always I was into soul music from a very young age as well and um, yeah and I really started then I was like buying soul and funk and my musical taste really did evolve when I was living in London, and a lot of that was to do with uh, just walking into record shops and going, "What is that? You know, uh, what, what's that playing? You know?" And, and oh, yeah, this is that new jazz, and, you know, um, and obviously I'm constantly getting uh, influenced by friends as well. So. Yeah, nice. London was um, a melting pot of uh, of musical tastes and genres. And uh, so it, it was fantastic for that to, to, to get did, into lots of different styles. You did, know. did
0: did you have a full-time job or was DJing full-time for you?
1: Yeah, I had a full-time job. Yeah, I was working for a fashion company, uh, East St. Laurent, their head office. So that, that was good in the, in, the, in the regard that I'd... Um, um, it wasn't just like a style office job. I was a, I was a runner, so I was always running around London and that and had a lot of free time. Um but no, DJing, DJing putting on parties was never um was never an income for me. I always had to have a nine <laughs> till five. I mean, even playing on the the radio stations, I paid to play, you know. Yeah. We paid 20 quid to go and do a show every week, you know. Uh, plus you're buying your vinyl, you know, it was like we spent well, Thousands, how much? Tens of thousands. How much of your
0: salary were you spending on vinyl a week? Like a good chunk of it, right?
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, of course, you would get paid monthly, and of course, I'd go straight down to the to the shops and and spend two, three hundred quid on 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 the new stuff that's come out. You know. Um, and then, and then during the week, you know, all these record shops on my doorstep, a lot of these secondhand shops, and I'll just be digging in the bargain basements for for for, for promos and buying promos for fifty p, uh, um, stuff stuff some stuff that's not released, all brand new stuff. But yeah, I'll be, I'll be digging, 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 sitting there, literally having my lunch sandwiches out of a packet from stacks of records, and I'm just digging through records, buying stuff at fifty p a pound, and taking them home. Yeah. Some are crap. <laughs> I'm a great, and whatever I didn't like, I'd sell back to the shop the next day. You know, it was, uh, but yeah, I spent a lot of money on vinyl over the years. A lot of vinyl. It was uh, that was a massive addiction. Was uh, was just records.
0: Oh, I feel you. I feel you. So you've had your first gig in '94, but what was your first residency, and how was that different from being a guest DJ? It was. It was. It
1: was. I wasn't, I never had a real solid residency at any other club I mean I was the, the gardening club gig the guy that was putting out on Terry Mitchell and Addy they were they were putting on a number of parties so they they were they they started booking me often then I started I was also playing at an event called Eurobeat 2000 um which anyone in the techno scene in London would uh, would would know they were they were quite big so I started playing for them regularly but like I said it was so it was very difficult to get gigs then even when the big bigger clubs started opening so So as opposed to having a residency, um, I had, uh, I was even from my own events or I was um, doing a weekly radio show. So the the weekly radio show, which I was planning to do um, at the time, um, was, I suppose, my first kind of residency and where that that helped me get work and meet people as well. So, yeah, it was more, I was heavily involved with the radio station side of stuff,
0: So would you say you've always had good networking skills? You think that's important, like, not to piss people off and burn bridges and shit?
1: <laughs> oh, I piss people off, mate. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, right. I knew but you were no, going to say that. A, it's,
1: uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah. music was a mu- music. Music's, been, um, <laughs> music's, music's always been a firm unifier of friendship for me. Right. Always, always okay. has been. Still to this day, I'm still... Making friendships to this day yeah, um, yeah. via mutual tastes in music or or mutual going to the same venues, clubs, or whatever to hear that st- certain styles of music. It's always been a very firm, um, you know, glue to make friends with. You know, uh, you know, I'm still friends with guys that I met in Braves back in back in the early nineties, and I'm still on close terms with all these type of guys. So yeah, music it's, it's, it's been music been a very uh. Very strong clue in friendships with me throughout my
0: whole life. Yeah. Did you get to DJ a lot around England, experience different cities and places, or it was all mainly in London? Yeah, it
1: was. Uh, I did start about it about actually. Um, there was uh, during you know, early mid 90s, I was uh, I was. I was I was like getting involved in the uh, the squat party scene, the free party scene, you know, uh, legal oh, break, cool. basically. Right.
0: Um,
1: so uh, you know, we'd get like spy, early spiral try parties and stuff. We'd, we'd pick up these little flyers, little little, just little, literally little paper printouts with a phone number on it. Um, and uh, United United Systems, and did um, phone that number up at, at ten o'clock on a on a Friday or Saturday night from a phone box, and um, and that 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 would then come live and they'll tell you where the venue was, you know, uh, it'd be a recorded message, obviously. Um, and, uh, and then, then then, off we'd be wherever that would be generally in East London back then when it was uh, um, a lot of uh, derelict houses, um, uh, derelict so warehouses, warehouse estates and stuff. And uh, so, yeah, I started rocking up to these parties um, and I started going with a bag of records on my shoulder. And I right. just rock up to the, so the guys were running the sound systems. I'd be like, "Got a set going, got a set going." I got a bag of wine there, and they'd be like, "Oh no, no, no," or whatever. And, and then sometimes they'd be like, "Yeah," and I'd jump on and um, yeah, and I start. I I'd literally would just go around these free parties with a bag of records. And sometimes I get to play, and sometimes I wouldn't. But um, some of the best parties I have ever played at in my life. Were these illegal raves? And yeah. um, going back to your point, yeah, they—they they, they were these sound. These sound systems. They started inviting me to play in Wales. I was playing up up mountains in forests, um, on farms, um, in warehouses. Um, I was playing a lot in Cambridge in, in 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 Cambridgeshire area and up in up near Norfolk and. Um, yeah, I started playing um, mainly in the south of England still and uh place like Brighton and down down south as well, but generally around London, other than, other than Wales, a few gigs in Wales. Yeah, it was generally down in sort of southern England.
0: Yeah, Wales is all right. Good yeah. people down there. I've DJ'd there a few times. So before we talk about you moving to Vietnam, what would you say was the highlight of your DJ career while you were living in England and who was the... Who was the best DJ you played with at that time before you moved here?
1: Um, two different answers. To I think I mean, the best event I, think I ever played at was um probably an, a a warehouse party in Hackney, which was an illegal event. Um, I knew the guys were running the sound system, and I I I, I turned up, and it was about two thousand people there, big big huge warehouse, and I turned up, and um, it was packed heaving. And um, the police quickly surrounded it, and um, but they they, they they couldn't do anything about it. this. This was after the Criminal Justice Bill come in as well. I was, I was yeah, very yeah. involved in uh, protesting against that, um, and they couldn't shut it down. They didn't literally didn't have the manpower to shut this place down. So I'm playing to the, in this warehouse. There's like you know well over a thousand people in there, and there was another room of another five hundred other people. That was probably one of the best parties I've ever played at in my life, memorable wise. Um, no one knew where the DJ was. We, there was a point to that because it was illegal. And, like, you, you don't want to be up on stage because the police <laughs> are going to make a V line for you to to confiscate that equipment. And I kind of miss that being incognito. No one knew yeah, the yeah. DJ was or where <laughs> they was. You know, it was, it was all about the music, and people were just 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 not facing in one direction. And they're just raving, you know. And that that was a memorable party for me, um, as opposed to playing with other people. I think. Um, in it, it differs in, in the UK. Yeah, I played with like DJ Bone, who's a massive, you know, huge Detroit DJ. Um, I played with Colin Dow, who's uh, you know Kiss FM radio legend. Um, various other people: Ben Sims, Mark Broom, of course. You know, I these guys meant, were, yeah. you know, Ben Sims just got voted the yeah. number one underground DJ in the world, and it rightly so. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are Essex boys, of course, as well. So um, yeah, I, was, I knew I knew these guys fairly well. Um, but then Asia opened up a whole completely different, um, um, scene to me as well. You know, different. So how,
0: tell us about that. um, What what made you, what made you leave England? You came straight to Vietnam, nowhere else. Is that right?
1: Um, no, I didn't actually. I was just, it was just a natural, um, a natural feeling of wanting to travel. Uh, you know, I was like, you know, I've been in London for ages, you know, a decade or so. And, um. I was like, I had a friend who was living in Thailand, and this was this was uh, early two thousands. Started getting a bit disillusioned with the London club scene, you know, getting a bit tired, a bit, you know. And um, so yeah, my mate was like, yeah, come over to Thailand. So I just I just quit my job and went travelling for nine months, and um, uh, travelled around Thailand, Laos, Malaysia um, for for nine months, and then went back to London. Um, Went back to London. I stayed in London for another two, three years. I was working for Fabric, got back in the scene. And I, I just had this, this niggling feeling. I was like, just, I, can't, I don't want to live in London anymore. I, I didn't want to live in the UK. And I don't, don't want to go too much into politics. But I, I was yeah. I was sick of the regime, shall we call it, that I was being forced to live at. Going mm. back to your point, the DJ never... The DJ and being in the music scene never paid the rent, so I yeah. always had to do a nine to five job, and it was getting to the point where the jobs I was doing I hated. Um, So yeah, uh, yeah, going, going going over to Asia opened up a lot of different doors, and I was just like, yeah, I don't have to live in London here. Let's, there's a big world out there. Let's go and have a little look and, um, and get about. So that's that's how I started coming to Asia, basically.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. so. Um, did you was was the trang your first party call when you came to Vietnam? Like, did yeah. did you ever live in Ho Chi Minh before or Saigon? I, I don't remember. No,
1: I didn't. I, this was my second trip to Asia. Um, I, I went and saw my friend in Bangkok and um, and uh, had, a, had, a, had an argument with him, as you do, you know, best mate. Well, I mean, I love him, he's my brother to this day, but yeah, we had an argument. I went, so I'm gonna, I'm going traveling, so I've never been to Vietnam, so uh. I went from Cambodia quickly and came into Vietnam on my own. I spent three days in Saigon, um, travelled up to the Lat, and then I hit the Trang. Uh, I turned up in the Trang, and I was like, oh, this is nice. You know, it was a bit of me, right on the beach, you know, beachside beach of town, and um, what year I fell was in that? love with the Trang. And, um,
0: what year was, are we talking? That was it. I was, sorry? What year, what year is that? When you that got 2006. Wow. So it must have been way different than what it is now. <laughs>
1: yeah. It was like... a backpack town then. It was a backpack of town. Yeah. So
0: you got in there very and was
1: different. You... very different.
0: Was you planning to DJ or did you want to find a, some kind of job or manage a bar or something? Yeah.
1: Again, again, it was like the, the last thing on my mind was DJing, actually. It was like I was, I was like, I actually, wanted a break from it. Um, you know, I just wanted—I just wanted to travel. And I was, you know, uh, you know, spent some time living with the hill people and stuff like that. You know, and helping to build their bamboo huts, and it was just experiencing different cultures. So the last thing on my mind really was um, was DJing. I had my I had my mini disc with me, I had my headphones and um, you know, so I had been using my little speakers, and um, but I got to the train. And just so happened to fall in you know, friendship with a guy uh, whose girlfriend was manager of the Sailing Club that you know very well.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and I was just, just in conversation, said I've been DJ for years in London, putting on parties and whatnot. And he said, oh, my girlfriend's a manager of Sailing Club. You should, uh, you should play there. I'll introduce her. He introduced me to Jess. I don't know if you remember her. Yeah. She was um, general manager of uh, Sailing Club and Patrick, at the time in the train, and uh, next thing I know, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in an internet cafe back then. You know, burning CDs, <laughs> whipping tracks of soul seed that I knew, and burning CDs. And uh, that weekend, I'm, 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 I'm using these digital decks that I've never used in my life. You know, they, they were the, the CDJ one thousand mark ones, I think. Right, uh, right. And I've never used that digital decks. We was we were quite digital back then. Actually, we were right I know. For our houses, You know, we were vinyl. To our be consoles. fair, though, so, the CDs yeah, that, that's were, not
0: you know, great. Yeah, they were they were a pretty pretty cool transition from vinyl, and once you got a few oh, CDs in that, it was all right. Um, just for the listeners, yeah. uh, just for the listeners. Like, um, I I used to DJ at Sailing Club. It's one of the best beach beach um beach clubs on the in the Trang, and that's where um we met a fellow fellow friend that's
1: where we met that's where we um met.
0: Yeah. what's his name again forgot the the old the, the old guy used to work there didn't you patrick Oh no not patrick the other one
1: <laughs> i forgot his name uh you had patrick and you had um pete the owner pete was pete, one of the pete, owner. Pete.
0: all right so yeah. um once you'd got you got that gig there how did you figure out visas and stuff back then what was the crack with
1: visas um. Well, I started. I was like DJing at Sailing Club. Um. And then I. Um. Then I, I. was also started DJing. There was a bar there called Guava at the time, and it was a. Yep. It was a backpacker bar, but it was a really nice little bar, and they. They, they had some uh, CDJs in there, and um. And I started. I got friendly with the owner, a guy called Quinn. It was um It was a Chinese Canadian guy. Lovely, lovely guy. Quinn, I remember, remember him.
0: Yeah. Him yeah, and, he's um, top guy.
1: And he offered me a gig, he offered me a gig, so I, I went in there and I was just like, well, I'm going to play something different there, and um, I was I was big into funk music at the time, and uh, so I just dropped a funk set, just a, just a pretty much raw funk set in there, and um, it went down really well, obviously completely different style to Sailing Club, which is more on the sort of commercial dance side of things, um, but, uh, but yeah, I played this Fox set, and then um, within within a week, I was managing the place. <laughs> right. <laughs> so so- uh, yeah, he, he invited me to manage the bar, and um, and they sorted my visa out. They sorted my work permit and visa so, out there. So.
0: this is what I was trying to say before: is that when I oh, met you, I was going through a journey of going from the music that I loved to playing commercial music in a venue that was beautiful, but they wanted music that wasn't my taste. And I think when we met, you, you was like, you were still like, no, nah, I ain't going to do that. Maybe you had a taste of it at the sailing club, but it wasn't for you. But at the time, I had a kid coming on the way, so I was just like, yeah, I was all about making money. And to be honest, that's when my own DJ career started to dwindle because I just fell out of love with that. I fell out of love with music. I got, I got lost in trying to figure out what genre I was going to play, what gig, just to please everybody, you know? So I, I yeah, think exactly. When I saw you, I was kind of like, I think I remember going in that bar, and I thought I'd much rather be in a bar like this, playing the music that I love, than being on the big stage. You know, um, it's it's just a way yeah, But I I, I did I, I did you know I've
1: done the same thing, Adam. You know, I was um you know I was doing the commercial gigs as well, and uh, I played in many of the Vietnamese club, and um, I was doing a lot of the sailing club as well. Um, yeah, but it got to that point where I kind of had to make a choice, really. It was like, yeah, well, I can get paid a shitload of money
0: yeah.
1: to play a lot of music that I don't really like, but that's what they want to hear, especially here in Vietnam. Um, or I can, you know, what, uh, quite, that's why I love Guava Bar was because I could play the music that was from my soul, my love, and I had a passion for, whether that was reggae, whether that was funk, soul, house, or techno, um, uh, and it, you know, and they 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 gave me that freedom to do that in there, and that was that I think that was a unique thing about Guapabu at the time um, in the train was that um, it was. Uh, um It was it was the only venue where you could hear alternative music as opposed yeah. to the more commercial side of dance music, which sailing club they- tapped into in, in a very good way. Actually, you know they they nailed it there. They still do actually. But, that
0: that um, was that was yeah,
1: that choice, right? You know, or if you're not having the choice, toy with both worlds. You know, and I was yeah, yeah. toy with both worlds a little bit. You know,
0: that that was the selling line for me to go there the first time uh, to meet Quinny. Uh, was like, this is the place you go for real music. <laughs> um. Talking yeah. about, you just mentioned that about Vietnam, um, like what they want. How how would you compare the crowds here and the culture compared to what you had growing up in London?
1: Um, yeah, totally different, of course, totally different. I mean, um, yeah, London as you know is a very multicultural city, um, but yeah, Vietnam, Vietnam was a whole different ball game, you know. Um, um, I mean, leaving leave, leave me aside for a second, it was just, I just fell in love with the people here, the culture, the food's amazing, as you well know. You've been, yeah, in, yeah. you know, probably as longer or not longer than me. So, yeah, it was just um, a humbling experience, I think, coming to this country and, uh, yeah, I just, fell in, I just fell in love with, the, you know, I lived in the Trang as well. It's, um, it's just such a beautiful place, you know. I'm surrounded by mountains and rivers. I'm right on the coast with a beautiful sea. Um, and it was just, I think it's just what I needed at that point in my life after after like, you know, 15 odd years of hardcore raving in, in, in the UK. Um, I just needed that, something totally different. And um, yeah, I've been Thailand, I've traveled Malaysia and Laos and Cambodia, but, 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 but yeah, Vietnam, Vietnam, just, I don't know, it just, just it was, I was like, I could live here.
0: So I- so you got married same. as well. Where did You, you oh, met your God. wife in the Trang, right?
1: I did meet my wife in the Trang, yeah. yeah. And then
0: away, yeah. um, yeah. Some, something happened. You had to leave Vietnam quite abruptly. Uh, yeah, I've I got... Um... Can we, can we <laughs> yeah, share it, the story? It
1: was, <laughs> a in, it was a blessing in disguise. Yeah, I'm quite, quite, quite famous for this. And uh, it's quite <laughs> funny hearing a lot of the stories and rumours of why I got picked out of Vietnam. Um, but it's quite a simple reason, really. Um, I, I was living in a, living, living in a house, um, renting a room out to a guy um, who, uh, who uh, shall we say, there was there was a government official living on our street, and um, this guy uh, who, who, I, who I was renting a room to turned up one day and um, had a bit of a fracas outside. The police turned up, blah, blah, blah. I kicked him out. Anyway, the guy on my street was Canawar Provincial Government. So uh, he just went... And I'm the name on the contract, right? Kick him out. So I got I've got i got um a two-year blacklist ban. Um wow. from Vietnam. That, that, that was, just uh, that easy, they could,
0: well just explain so you get boot how does that work? You got you get like a um a grace time to pack your shit and get out, or you gotta leave straight
1: away. Yeah, they gave me a ten day they gave me a ten days. stamp. They gave me a ten day stamp. Yeah. Uh, because um, the visa, the visa I was on at the time as well was, uh, i just I just finished, Grogwabra just closed about four four months previous to this. And I was in the process of setting up a tour company, tour company, motorbike rental company, and it was going through um, lawyer's office, but the paperwork hadn't been done. But they still gave me a business visa anyway. But So I got kicked out on a sort of technicality of, of that as well, of not having the correct visa. Um, so I got a two-year backlist ban. Wow. Um, so uh, which was at the time a major pain in the arse, and obviously a bit of a shock. Um, because I was quite I've been in Vietnam seven years at that point. Um, so, so you, you, I, I went over to Cambodia. Yeah, went did your wife Cambodia. go with
0: you? Was that an easy transition for her? Did yeah. she stay here?
1: Yeah, it wasn't an easy transition at all, actually. I mean, she, she she stayed in Vietnam for another year or so, but she was constantly coming in and out. I had a lot of money locked up in Vietnam, which I couldn't access. So she'd come over to Phnom Pen, which is where I rebased myself, and uh, she was bringing me over money um, that I had locked up in Vietnam. And um, and then after about a year or so, she moved over to, to Phnom Pen with me. Um, but, yeah, it turned into a blessing in disguise. Like I say, I was on a like, two-year blacklist, but I ended up living in Cambodia for five years. I absolutely loved
0: it. Yeah, and so, I saw uh, you play at the yeah. legendary Pontoon, which for most people around the world, Pontoon will be well-renowned well, well renowned rather than the clubs in Vietnam. But I you That's slayed say... Right. And, and Red remember. as
1: well, right? Code, Code, yeah, Red, Red with, with Red. Red. Tim. Well.
0: Tim Coates. Yeah, my mate Tim, be shout out to him. But, yeah, I remember yeah. being in that back room, and it was like, for me... That was like a really good club experience. It was different from Vietnam. It felt like a real club experience, like, you know, that more underground scene. Um, so yeah. how, would you, how would you compare life in Cambodia to Vietnam? Is there a big difference? Not just about music, but living there and the people and stuff? Yeah, and it took me a while to
1: settle in, actually. It took me, um, it, it, it took the best to part, best part of the year to sort of settling. I didn't like it at first. I was so, so ingrained in and used to living in Vietnam. I was, I was, you know, caught off guard, sort of like, you know, ending up there, really. It was, um, but it turned into a blessing in disguise. You know, the people were lovely. Obviously, culturally, they're very different. The language is very different. The uh, cuisine is very different. Um, but yeah, it's, but musically, I mean, coming from the Trang as well, which was at that time is, uh, you know, still quite a small backpacker town. Um, rocking up in a city like Phnom Penh, which was massively, massively developed, just like Ho Chi Minh at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, going from uh, the Trang to Nong Penh was, was a, a major step, which ended up being a, a good step in the right direction, actually, because the music scene was just way better. Right. And there was uh, just way more options, and uh, and it was just uh, you know compared competitive trying. You know, there was just there was there was an underground scene. There was people there playing techno, and I was like, oh, there's, there's people playing techno and electro music and you know underground music. And so I was so, like, oh, this is good. So, I'm, cur-
0: uh, I'm curious to know then why why at that time was Cambodia getting more big headline DJs and Vietnam wasn't. What was the reason for that? Was that due to pr- just promoters'
1: taste or yeah, I think it was actually, I mean, one of the major promoters over the Eddie Newman, big shout out to Eddie. Yeah, um, Eddie. Um, um, he was doing, he'd been He'd been over there doing a lot, especially on like more of the hip hop side of things, you know, he was bringing over Mixmaster Mike and Beastie Boys, you know. Uh, He's one of my uh, favourites. Oh, yeah. like but he was bringing over the DMC guys, DJ Woody, which we yeah. saw you, at uh, the, the, the recent DJ Woody yeah, gig. Yeah,
0: yeah, he was yeah.
1: bringing over a lot more of the hip hop guys. And, um, and I was lucky enough after a year I I landed um a job a uh, booking manager for, for for the Pontoon Club um but they had a side room which was predominantly house and techno and they had a big budget um which I was allowed to bring in DJs and they just gave me a blank page and said yeah to run an underground club so so that's when I could start bringing in sort of my bigger house and techno DJs like Mr C and uh, Marco Lenzi and you know. You know uh, yeah it was there was more money there than there ever was in the train at the time yeah so absolutely. but yeah with people like eddie and myself and 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 having good uh work relationship with the owners of pontoon nivet dj that's a big shout out to him um yeah we 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 helped like sort of push uh take take the scene in cambodics to another level and was always like you know trying to bring in international bigger bigger international artists and uh and try and make it work uh, along with the local talent that was there as well you know just pushing the local talent as well you know there's a good pool of uh djs already there based there so so
0: was, uh, what made you come back to vietnam in the end then five years later you come back to vietnam what what's what's that yeah about?
1: it was um yeah it was uh well I, as, you know my wife came over to cambodia so, you know she was my girlfriend at the time but yeah we got married after five years and then we started, uh, you know, once obviously the, the ban had been lifted, I was started coming in and out of uh, Vietnam. And Vietnam was my home, I suppose, and it's no disrespect to Cambodia. At the time, i had been running this club for four years in Phnom Penh. And it was a little bit of a similar situation in London, a little bit of a burnout, you know what I mean? So yeah, I just yeah. wanted to come back. I wanted to come back to, 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 to Vietnam with my then wife. Um, Who's obviously Vietnamese, and we and we moved back to Nha Trang. Actually, we went back to Nha Trang and just chilled out for a few years after after uh, the madness of non Pen, you know. And uh, I was still doing parties and DJing, of course, but just on a much smaller, quite a scale.
0: So did you never trang. had a? You never had a full time yeah. job here? It's always just been DJing while you've been in Asia.
1: Um, yeah, the full time jobs I've had have been, been like even booking manager or manager of bars. So yeah, I've had a number. Yeah, yeah, mainly in the. The, and these bars have been music based you know right um, so, so when you come back to uh, Vietnam yeah, yeah then, management management
0: so when you got back to Vietnam after the five year break or whatever had you, was there a big difference because then you you just recently moved to Saigon and you've just killed it since you've been here, but why why did you move out of Nha Trang and how different was Vietnam since you came back from v- from Cambodia?
1: Yeah, it was completely different. It was a city all of a sudden. It was um, it yeah. wasn't the town that I that, that I knew and loved. You know, it was a completely different place. It was like Costa del Vietnam. You know, there was high-rise <laughs> bloody hotels. Every five-star hotel or going was uh, was along the beachfront. Uh, so yeah, it was uh, lots of Russians. The Russians had moved in in a big way. Um, lots of Chinese tourism. Lots of Korean tourism. Yeah, it was a massive tourist hub. You know, and, um. So it changed dramatically. Um, we moved to the to the suburbs, to the outskirts. You know, I was I was right up near the mountains and the outskirts, and um, and I, I was just quietly plugging away. i didn't take a full time job. My wife started walking full time in the hospitality industry, which is what she was doing before. And I just started getting friends with with these little bars that were dotted around the city um and i just like Friday's little friday events and a little techno event you know 30 40 50 people or whatever and I'd, I'd throw a few parties every month um and dj do a few dj things but i generally took like took it easy for a while and, uh, after after cambodia i was uh i was quite happy to just sort of kick back and uh, read a load of books and uh, listen listen to a load of music you know and that's, that's when I started building up my um, cloud accounts more. You know, I was uploading mixes and started streaming and stuff like that and really got into uh, the podcasting.
0: So since you've got back into Ho Chi Minh now, it's been boots on the ground and just full force for you, right? What what have you been doing since you got here? Um, yeah, well,
1: I've been here two years now. I've yeah. been, here, been, here, been here just over two years now. But um, well, obviously, as you know, the COVID situation was a major factor um, but even before COVID, I was um, I was really starting. So I got, I got booked at the Lighthouse Club. Um, and that, again, was through uh, through the booking manager, MacMan. Um, he was uh, He'd been listening to a lot of my podcasts I've been putting on Mixcloud. And uh, I got a message one day, and uh, he sent me a message. And he said, uh, he, I didn't know him. He's like, yeah, I'm working at Lighthouse. He's like, do you want to come down and DJ at Lighthouse? And I was like, hell yeah. So I uh, jumped on a bus. Next thing I know, I'm I'm passing it down to, uh, to to Ho Chi Minh like two or three times a month. Playing at the Lighthouse, Planet Wham, Planet The Villa Project, Cafe de Stagiaires, a number of different venues, and um, then COVID hit. Um, and then uh, after COVID, uh, I've been the job managing Wham. Yeah. Uh, so me and my wife, after COVID, the tram was dead. It killed all tourism, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we was, uh, yeah, we chased the dollar and it was asked like, to my wife, I said, babe, do you want to come down to Ho Chi Minh? I'm getting offered work. I'm going down there every week. And she was like, hell yeah. So yeah, we've we, we, we done the move to, to Saigon, to Ho Chi Minh, you know, um, which was, uh, turned out to be another great move. Loved every minute of it ever since. So.
0: How, how would you feel fun. you've matured as a DJ then, since going from London to, to where you are now?
1: Oh, massively, um, massively. I mean, I'm still learning to this day. Uh, you know, I still, um, still, still take the time to to watch and listen to uh, and encourage new DJs. I, I love encouraging new young kids to to, to 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 start DJing, and you know, if they've got a passion for music, if I can see someone's got a passion for music, I'm I'm happy to spend my time with them. Uh, push them in the right direction, give them some gigs, you know, give them some pointers. Um, but yeah, uh, I've changed a lot, I suppose, uh, style-wise, you know, playing, you know, and bringing, I'm playing a lot more funk, soul, reggae, hip-hop as well than I used to ever in London. I never really used to play much of that in London. It was, it was more dance music. Whereas, whereas over here... I found that everyone was playing everyone's playing house music or everyone's playing tech house or, or or techno, you know, in the underground scene. So I was, so I, was like, I, I just brought my massive love of reggae and soul and funk um, into the bars a bit more, and that and that kind of took off in a big way. It was like, yeah, funk and hip hop in in, in 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 small little bars popping off, yeah, it, it works. And I was just like, great, this is excellent, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I've matured more in a DJ in a way that I play a lot more different styles. And I, I just, good music to me is good music. So I just I just love spreading, spreading all vibes and all styles, you know. Uh, I can do a set and play bloody 20 different genres in a five-hour set, no problem. It's just uh, all <laughs> fun. It's all fun for me. Which, it.
0: which venue will we never see, Alan never see Alan
1: Ritchie? Which venue will you never see me at? <laughs> <laughs> and that's a question. I don't know. Um I po- you probably won't see me in Vietnamese clubs ever again. It that, right. feel that. Um, well, You, no you want to save your in yeah. clubs? It's it's, it's it's yeah, it's just it's obviously yeah, it's the I I I've done it, I've gone down that road, I've done the the the, the, the vina House the edm sort of yeah. stuff, you know. Um, which had its fun moments, uh its time, you know, but um but yeah, you're not gonna see. Yeah, I pick and choose. I pick and choose where I play a little bit more. And um, yeah, it's uh, it, it, a lot. It's a lot to do about a connection with the owners or the managers of the venue as well. For me, that's a large part of where 100%. I play. You know, you got, got, you got, you got to really feel off each other. You know I mean, I don't like cold sort of DJing or yeah. or you know, I, I like to have a really good relationship with whoever I'm working with, whether that's other DJs or club owners or managers or whatever. So um, well, it's. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a mutual respect and mutual understanding and a love of music, which which uh, which has played a large part in where I play. Really.
0: Yeah, sure. What annoys you What's the awesome. most about seeing I, 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 other DJs I, 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 perform?
1: Well, nothing annoys me about for, 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 for saying that. I was sitting down bovina the, the other morning at an um, obscene hour. That was uh, that was a bit shocking. But no, nothing, nothing, nothing really annoys me. It, 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 you know, you need, uh, you need whatever style of music you're into. Whether that's my personal music subject is, you know, so whether I like that style of music or not, is neither here nor there. It's, it's, it's a personal taste. It's a personal opinion. So uh, I can't say, oh, this DJ's bad or that this person's bad. Or it's, 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 it's a, it's a personal choice, you know. So uh, I made my choices, and um, and I don't like to bring negativity really into. Yeah. If, if if I don't like a a DJ style or the music they're playing, um, I, I tend to try and keep my opinions to myself to a degree. You know, I don't like to like sort of bring the negative vibe into a into a party. I try keep try and keep things positive. I'll have a laugh and joke on Facebook all day long, and people know me for that. You know, I, I love throwing the shit part a little bit. Yeah, but um... <laughs> people that know me know I'm joking and know no know, know that I've, I'm 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 all for pushing pushing the music, pushing the scene, encouraging newbies, you know, wh- whatever whatever device you decide you want to start learning on, it's all good, man. It's all good. It's all, you know, if you you know you can progress from uh from the one one t- laptop to, 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 to vinyl if you really want to do that, you know.
0: Talking about encouragement, what advice can you offer anyone who wants to be a DJ?
1: Um it's just get out there, get out there, make friends, make connections, um, watch, learn, um, you know, a large part of what I've done, um, um, like I say, I, I, you know, when I, when I started, it, it, I didn't even want to be a DJ, but it was, just about, it was just a pure interest on how are they mixing this track with this track, how are they doing it? So I think my biggest advice is just to go to the clubs, go to the parties, go to where they're yeah. playing music that you personally like and um and um, and watch them dJs get friends with them chat with them and um, and uh, and then and 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 get friendly with the people that are generally going to these places on a regular basis anyway that's what I've done and build a build a network and um I find yeah you can you can try all day long by sending emails to clubs and booking managers and venues oh can you give me a gig can you give me a gig but I think the best way to do it is face to face, and get out there, do the groundwork, do the leg work, and get out there and put yourself out there and put a put a, put a face to to, to them managers and then club owners and then other DJs. Put put your face out there. That's the best way to do it. Do
0: you, do you do you think there's any need to improve the technology for DJing? Would you like to see any future tech, or do you think we should go be back? We should go back.
1: <laughs> back in no, definitely, definitely no. I, 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 I love the I love the, you know technology is great you know yeah, um, yeah there's there's there, there's some issues where you know we can say oh yeah it's um, you know it's, it's so much easier these days which in fairness it is it is a lot easier these days you know with uh, digital BPM readouts and bloody waveforms and um, laptops and sync and whatnot it's of course it's easier um, but as you well know uh, I don't know what rubber listeners will uh, will know you know I saw you at the DJ Woody event. Um, what, like two months ago, uh, um, and DJ Woody, he does the, um, you know, he's, he helped develop the, not just the Serato scratch, um, but the, the, the video, the video yeah. element of live scratching with the video element behind. And that, that was just off the wall. Yeah. absolutely off the ball. so yeah it was, when it comes to you know um developing technology to uh, you know in a in, in a way like that i just find that mind-blowing it's, it's amazing you know so yeah, yeah technology is to be embraced but it's also also opens the doors to for it to make um for so-called djs to to skip the basics you know what I mean yeah and uh so yeah you, gotta, you know you're, you're trying to write back as a DJ booker I look for someone who's actually put a bit more groundwork in than just coming in and press and sink and then the the laptop or whatever do it for them you know but, but that's just uh, the DJ Booker in me. I'm looking for a little bit more talent than than that but as I said I'm happy to encourage and and, and help you know with with newbies you know
0: So, what do you think your plans for the future? Um, Are you going to DJ forever? Are you going to retire? Are you going to stay in the music? Uh, Do you
1: have some? You said you might write Uh, a book. I'm never going to stop DJing. Never going to stop DJing. Uh, As for retiring, yeah, I mean, I'm already planning to take a backseat from the club game in a number of years. You know, uh, fifty-seven. I've sort of like by the time I'm fifty, I don't want to be sort of working for a venue anymore. You know, I, I want to stay. I'm, I'm, I'm happy where I am at the moment. Um, I'm working at Lighthouse, as you know, uh, doing, the, doing the bookings there. I'm very happy there at the moment. Um, so, yeah, as long as that's still here, I'll probably carry on doing that for the next two, three years. Um, but, yeah, by the time I'm 50, I, we probably will move back to Netrang, which is our hometown in Vietnam. And um, I'll carry on DJing. I think that would give me more more um, more opportunities to to, to, to tour, the DJ, so go to Hong Kong, go to Singapore, go to Korea, um, but just have more of a home base in you know, the Trang and um, and uh, and not be in a club two, three, four, five nights a week. You know, I need to stay, take a step back from that. You know, I'm, I'm starting to get tired, I'm starting to get old, you know, so uh, as a <laughs> DJ, I won't stop until I physically can't.
0: Okay, just before we wrap this up, my podcast is all about Made oh, to fine. Think, so when you're not DJing, when you're not thinking about music, who do you go to for influence? Who's your, you know, your idols? Uh, bookwise, any podcast you want to recommend? Any people that we should be checking out?
1: Yeah, there's a there's a number actually. I, I, I do most of my music listening on Mixcloud. Um, so I've been, uh, you know, obviously building up my own accounts. I've got two accounts: one Soul Jazz Funksters, which deals with that side of music, and Alan Ritchie, which is more and techno. Um, but yeah, I'm following um, some great DJs who are doing radio shows and podcasts. Um, um, there's 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 one called New- a Music Without Label show. There's a Disorder, Double Chronicles. Um, Colin Dow's restarted his Abstract Dance radio show, which I grew up on listening to on Kiss FM when I was a kid. He 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 streams on Mixed Cloud, and I, I listen to I listen to his streams uh, every month. Um, so yeah, there's there's at least 15 or 20 solid radio shows that I listen to. To this day, Um nothing's changed since when I was a kid. I'm, I'm listening to radio shows and they're playing brand new music every month, every month, every month. Um, so that's still where I'm discovering and finding a lot of my new music from. It's, it's radio, but obviously it's on the internet nowadays as opposed to You, do, you're,
0: you're, you have, you have um, time to read as well, right? I see you reading books. Is there any, any good books you can recommend? Yeah, I love new books.
1: Yeah, I love new books. Yeah, books, yep. Yeah, I read a lot of books. And I'll see. obviously, obviously I, list, I was listening to your last podcast with Wayne, Wayne, Wayne Anthony, right? So and, uh, obviously, I read that class of 88. I read that quite a few years ago. Oh,
0: it came out, yeah, it's 1998, right? yeah. and I've still got the original copy, apparently. Yeah, was it was about watching. 20 years
1: ago I read that. Yeah. You know, it's definitely worth a reread. I need to reread that, because that was... Uh, with all the Genesis part, is that what a book that was? So it was really, yeah. I mean, props to you. Having 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 him on as a guest uh, for your for your last podcast was uh, was a pleasure to listen to that, you know, wow. and get a little bit more of an insight from him. I mean, I read the book, but just. To, to, to listen to that was uh, was really really interesting. So, yeah, nice one, nice one for that one. You, That's why you, and... you asked me. I was like, I'm no one. <laughs> you've got, no, you've got this, the this... guy was putting on Genesis raves on and I
0: was well, like, why do you want me? <laughs> the, podcast, the podcast is in its genesis, and I like to just... Uh reconnect with people that I've met on my journey and you was oh, one of the Genesis DJs I met. In fact, you were the first DJ I met in Natrang, so it makes sense, right? But the good news is is no, Wayne Wayne Wayne's yeah. gonna come over to Vietnam next year. He wants to come over for a month, so um I'll I'll be talking Excellent. to you about that. Yeah, you'll get to meet him. Um no, before absolutely. before, just before just we wrap reliable, this up man. I want to say thank you, and I, I must apologise. I think the audio is not going to be great on this one. Um, I can tell it's cracking a little bit on your side. Um, I'm not going to ed, re-edit. I'm not going to do anything. This is an old school recording,
1: right? <laughs> yeah, no, for, exactly. Um, all the pops and crackles. It's They've got, got no, the pops and cracks.
0: It sounds just like an old tape That's mix. Nice. I love it. Um, you're going to be playing with Fat Boy Slim. Just tell everybody what that's all about. I'm super excited about this. Uh, he's a legend. What can we expect? Where's it gonna be? Where can you buy tickets? Please let us know.
1: Yeah, that's uh yeah, so we've got Fat Boys Slim coming up. Yeah, I was quite surprised to be um asked to play uh play for that, uh, which is an honor, of course. You know, being one of the being one of the biggest dance exports in the world. Um that's gonna be held at the um, youth cultural centre in district one, and that's on Friday, the 30th of December yeah um tickets are selling fast so you can yeah. get them from um um website loud loud minority website yeah. or certainly if you come onto alan richie my facebook page i can point you in the right direction for the tickets so but yeah it's 2000 capacity and they're, they're they're nearly gone so i think this is going to be a a big old pre new year's eve rave up so um yeah,
0: are you going
1: to dj new Ah yeah, we we've, we've got Yoko San as a Japanese uh, female DJ based here in Vietnam. She's amazing. We've yeah. got Kaiser T, who's a very um, uh, established uh, Vietnamese DJ. so Central yeah. playing yeah, and uh, and, and myself. So I'm playing. I'm playing the first set. So it's actually <laughs> All
0: right, I look forward to that. And where where can people find you on New Year? Are you going to be doing a gig after that?
1: Lighthouse. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be at Lighthouse New Year's Eve. Yeah, Lighthouse Club. Good stuff. Yeah, Lighthouse Club hey, District 1, side on. Yeah, I'll be Alan, there. Alan, I'm going to wrap this well. up.
0: I just want to say thank you. Uh, really proud. Um, it's very an honour to listen to your story. Um, and yeah, cheers for sharing your time with everybody. And I'll catch you in, uh, in the club. soon. Absolute
1: pleasure, mate. Thank you very All much. Right. Respect. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. You take care. Th- cheers. Everyone, thank mate. you, everybody. I appreciate, appreciate it, man.
0: Thank you very much, sir. Good night. Thank
1: you. Take care. Bye-bye. See you soon. Cheers, man.